ladies and gentlemen. Give it up for me. There we go. Great. Wonderful. Great. Um, but before that, before that, I'm going to ask Nathan to come and bring us our Bible passage. Nathan, we are in Matthew 11. If you want to grab it out, it'll come up on the screen as well. Nathan, come and bring us God's word. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to your God. Thank you so much, Nathan. Wonderful. So as I've, as I've just mentioned, you know, summer's here. And there's a bit of upheaval, isn't there? Uh, you know, some of us are buzzing about the changes, about the, the opportunities of summer. Some of us are slightly dreading it, if we're honest. Some of us are not that fussed at all. So, but it's a weird old time, the summer. Um, and as I've just mentioned, that for, for us as a Bay Church family, this summer brings a lot of change. But for each of us, the summer brings with it, can bring with it a lot of upheaval in our own lives as well. You might be uh, a parent who now has six weeks of working out how to entertain and look after your kids whilst juggling all of the normal stuff of life. You might be someone who is in education and, and your normal rhythms and routines of, sort of lectures or classes have just now suddenly evaporated for a few months. Or you might simply have a bunch of holiday lined up, which is going to disrupt your rhythms in a lovely way. Or the classic one, when you, when you live somewhere as beautiful as Torbay, you might have a whole bunch of people coming to visit and stay with you this summer, and you're trying to work out, oh, when am I going to fit them in, when I'm actually going to do a shop, all that sort of stuff, uh, without appearing rude. Or you might not be affected by any of that stuff that I've just mentioned, but there is not a single one of us, friends, not a single one of us who will not be impacted by the sheer number of cars trying to navigate Payton's one-way system as, they try to get, as visitors try to get to the beach. So summer's going to come for all of us, guys. Summer's coming. And whatever age or stage you're at in life, the summer holidays, they have the capacity to disrupt our rhythms and routines for good or for ill. And primarily, the summer holidays offer us just that. That's kind of their main selling point, holiday, the promise of rest. And so I want, what I want us to consider this morning is how do we do the summer well? How do we do the summer holidays well, wherever we're at? How do we rest when our lives maybe feel even more all over the place during the summer than normal? How are we supposed to holiday when we live in a place where people come on their holidays? And ultimately, I want to ask, how do we faithfully, faithfully follow Jesus during the summer and avoid kind of accidentally taking a holiday from our faith? Because it's a little bit harder in the holidays to maintain our usual rhythms and routines, isn't it? For example, if, I, if I'm waking up at a different time during the holidays or with no school run to do, then, then honestly, my morning prayer routine, I, I can find it that little bit harder to to kind of stick to it at the same times. It all feels a bit hodgepodge. It can be, it's easier for it to be shorter. It can be, you know, maybe even a TikTok exercise or shoehorned in around other stuff. If it's my daily bread, sometimes during those holidays, it can feel like it's a, a bit of a slice of toast as I head out the door, that sort of thing, instead of really nourishing stuff that I enjoy. And the temptation can be to get, either get all legalistic on myself and beat myself up when my rhythms are all out of whack, or to tell myself that it doesn't really matter and I shouldn't worry about it. But Neither of those extremes are true. Because what, what that time of morning prayer isn't supposed to be as a tick box exercise or an occasion for stressing myself out. What it is supposed to be is an opportunity to begin the day by resting in Jesus. And for many of us, we, we think of rest 
as simply just time off from our work and responsibilities. That's kind of the default mode we, we can uh, think of as rest. In fact, the Oxford English Dictionary, it simply defines rest as a spell of inactivity after a period of work, a break. But Jesus says, in the passage that Nathan just read to us, and Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He promises to show us what it truly means to rest. Not to just rest from our work, but to rest in him. With a kind of rest which allows everything else to be set in its proper perspective. Our work, our play, our worship, our raising of families, our making friends, our welcoming of guests, even our naps and our eating of ice creams on the beach, it all gets put in its proper perspective when we intentionally embrace the rest that Jesus offers to us. Jesus is inviting us to experience a rest which is different to the kind of rest that the world offers us. And I want to encourage us this morning, at the start of the summer, that that rest isn't actually about inactivity or somehow taking a break from real life as if that could ever really happen. True rest, true rest is resistance. When we rest in Jesus, we actively, it's an active thing, we actively rebel against the broken stories which our culture tries constantly to tell us about rest and work and even about what it is to be a human being. And so what I want to do this morning is in order to explore what it looks like to rest in Jesus, I first want to explore two of those broken stories of rest, which I think are really rampant in our culture around us and and, and which we need to actively resist. So the first story that I think we need to actively resist is, is what we'll call the way of productivity. The way of productivity. This is where our understanding of what it is to be human beings is that we're here to work. Fundamentally, we're here to work in order to produce stuff or get stuff done or or in order to make more money. Now, don't get me wrong. Meaningful work is a good thing and being productive in that work can also be a good thing. But money can even be a good thing when it's stewarded well. But when our work and our productivity levels become the thing by which we understand our own worth as human beings, it all starts to go wrong. Work and money and productivity are great servants. They are lousy masters. Before training to be a vicar, I was a graphic designer for the best part of a decade. And there's lots of hard parts uh, of being a graphic designer, mainly, if I'm honest, how everybody else in the world also thinks they're a graphic designer. (sighs) A bit controversial there. But but one of the easiest bits of the job, though, was keeping track of how productive I'd been. Because I'd have all these clever apps I'd use to keep track of the amount of time I spent on each job so I could build clients properly. And and I'd have this project planner, which was basically just a fancy big to-do list. And every time I finished a task, I could tick it off and have the satisfaction that comes only with ticking something off of a to-do list. Then fast forward to my first few months as an ordained minister in the Church of England. And in those early months of myself and Matt and our our families and some wonderful other people landing in the bay and beginning to plant Bay Church, mostly my job was now meeting up with people for coffee, doing like DIY projects with Matt in the hall, um, and praying. There were lots of other things as well, but that was kind of the, those were the main things. And I had this mini existential crisis where I couldn't work out anymore how productive I was being. No more tracking my time to build clients. No more fancy to-do list software. And I realized that for my entire time working as a graphic designer, I had allowed myself to be formed by a story about my life which was at odds with the story God proclaimed about my life. I had allowed productivity to become a bit of an idol in my life. And I had allowed productivity to speak a story over my life that I am only, a, only worth what I can produce. Do you resonate with that? I'm, uh, that sense of feeling like we're only worth what we can produce. 
the author and theologian Michael Frost, he, he argues that, in fact, this is one of the, uh, the, many of the problems we have with how we treat each other in our culture today hinge on how obsessed we are with productivity. In Western society, he says, all of our contemporary anxieties hang on this problem. Everything must bear the weight of productivity. Everything must bear the weight of productivity. We can begin to see our relationships with each other. The things we do for enjoyment, like sport or art, and the way we treat the most disadvantaged in our society through whether they are economically productive uses of our time. But obviously, if this is how we understand what it is to work, we only ever understand rest as being a break from work so that we can go back to being more productive when we go back to work. The whole world revolves around our work and our productivity. But if we only ever rest in order to increase our productivity, then we're resting in the promises of a different story and not resting in the promises of Jesus. The way of productivity says, come and bring your weariness and burdens and hold on to them whilst you go through the motions of what you think rest looks like. But Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. He says, take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's the yoke that Jesus asked us to carry, a light and easy one. Now, Jesus, for a point of clarity, Jesus isn't talking about eggs here when he's talking about yolks, all right? He's speaking to a bunch of people in first century Galilee in a society which is much more used to agricultural and farming imagery than, than we are even in 21st century Devon. And a yoke, we've got a little picture of a, a yoke to... to uh, Two cows, bulls? I, I should have done some more research on what those actually are. Um, yoked together, that sort of bar between them, that wooden frame, it's usually used to join sort of two oxen together so they can pull a heavy load, maybe to plow a field or, as these guys are, plowing a, plowing a cart. These guys, as if I know them. Um, <laughs> pulling a cart behind them. And Jesus is saying, I'll take your yoke, I'll take your heavy load, I'll take the things that you're burdened by, the things you're attached to, and I'll give you my yoke which is easy and light. In fact, Jesus is saying, yoke yourself to me and the ways of the kingdom of God. Don't you yoke yourself to hard things or the broken stories your culture will tell you about yourself. And for a first century Israelite hearing Jesus say these words, Jesus needed them to know that they couldn't pull the heavy loads of life if they yoked themselves to the overbearing religious interpretation of the law that was so common in their day. And for us living in the 21st century, I think Jesus needs us to know we can't pull the heavy loads of life if we yoke ourselves to the overbearing way of productivity and hustle culture and burnout, which is so common in our day. But the temptation, the danger, is that we cast off the yoke of productivity and attach ourselves to the ways of an equally unhelpful narrative at the total opposite end of the scale. At, the, at one end of the scale, we have the way of productivity, which says rest is bad unless it's helping you be more productive. And at the other end of the scale, we have the second story I want to look at, which I think I'll call the, the way of holidayism, which says rest is the main good in life. You should spend all of your time resting. You've earned it. You've earned it. And frankly, when we live somewhere as beautiful as Torbay, we are surrounded by the way of holidayism all the time. I have lost track. I've only lived here two years, right? But I have lost track of the number of times my wife and I have said something to each other like, we live here, we have to remember we're not on holiday. We can't live our lives like we're constantly on holiday. To be honest, right, I love chips. I love ice cream. Yeah. I will spend all day, and I mean all day, playing on the basketball machines at the arcade on the pier, if you let me. 
If, right, if I had no other responsibilities, that's what I'd probably spend most of my day doing. But as fun as being on holiday is, we're not made to be on holiday all the time. Indulging in rest is not meant to be our default way of, operate, of operating. If I only ate chips and ice cream and spent my time at the arcades on the pier, my life would probably look a little bit all over the place, right? Let, to, let alone, you know, my... Oh, I don't want to think about what I do my, to my insides just eating chips and ice cream as my diet. So probably best to just, you know, leave that thought there. But in the fourth century, another, another man, uh, St. Augustine of Hippo, long before he became a, a, a saint, he found this same thing out. After he went on the, a succession of desperate searches for rest and fulfillment, he indulged in excessive pleasures far greater than just chips and ice cream. He followed the path to rest that his culture offered him, and it only led to him becoming weary of even being himself. He was so exhausted by life that he came to a point where he could only cry out, how long, how much longer shall I live, O Lord? How long? He had tried resting as his only way of being. He tried looking for fulfillment elsewhere, and he came to the point where all he could say was, how long, O Lord, how long? Now, a decade later, having found Jesus in the middle of his desperation, having this incredible encounter with the Lord, he now lived a life trying to, trying to follow him. And Augustine found himself reflecting and writing on why human beings can so often tend towards not just enjoying pleasurable things, but excessively indulging in them like he had. And he concluded that all human beings have this kind of gap within our very being that can only be fulfilled by knowing God. But that so often we try to stuff that gap with other replacements. And he wrote this beautiful sentence as he reflected. He said, you have made us for yourself, O Lord. And our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. Our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. And as he was writing that, Augustine was, was drawing upon the wisdom of the Bible. Because throughout the Bible, we see again and again and again that there is a relationship between the way that people rest and the way that they live the rest of their lives, including the way that we, we relate to God. And we see this really clearly outlined in the, in the book of Exodus, in the Old Testament. Exodus chapter 20, when God gives Moses and the people of Israel the Ten Commandments. And the first few commandments are, are about how God's people are made for worshipping him. And will flourish when they allow every part of their lives to be oriented around him. Not idols in their culture, but you know, around him, including orienting their work and their rest and their rhythms around him. They're to rest in him, not in idols or false gods or anything else that this world might offer. And they're to understand resting in him as a form of resistance, as a form of resisting the idols of the culture around them. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, the Bible says. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any, any work. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now, a quick disclaimer before, we, before I carry on. What I don't want to do here is be all legalistic about keeping the Sabbath. That's precisely the, the sort of stuff that when Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. That's exactly the stuff that Jesus is rebuking in that context. He's saying, my yoke is easy, not legalistic, and my burden is light, not condemning. So if you have to work on a Sunday, or care for a relative on a Sunday, or whatever it is, and it's in many ways out of your hands, please don't hear me saying, beat yourself up. That is not what the Sabbath is about. 
But I think it's important that we recognize that the Sabbath, as it's given in the Ten Commandments, is supposed to be a gift for human beings. It's supposed to be a gift for the people of Israel, not a burden. Walter Brueggemann says that people who keep Sabbath live all seven days differently. Our rest isn't just about our rest. Our rest impacts the rest of our lives. Because it's only after commanding the people of Israel to keep the Sabbath that the Ten Commandments go on to list other things about how we relate to each other as human beings. God's desire for us is that we don't murder each other. We don't commit adultery with each other. We don't steal from each other. But genuinely, it appears that higher up on his list of priorities for us is that we take time each week to properly rest in him. It is as important to God that you take a day off to rest in him as it is that you don't kill people. God's vision of the good life for us as human beings involves us carving out time in our week to rest in him. He has made us for himself and our hearts are restless until they find rest in him. The Ten Commandments are given to the people of Israel to help them understand how as God's people, they're going to be distinct from the culture around them and resting in him is a core part of that. And so when Jesus invites us as God's people to rest in him, he echoes that. He invites us to be distinct from the culture around us in the way that we rest. Not by overindulging or oversleeping or trying to take a break from all of our responsibilities and living our life like we're on holiday, but by drawing near to him. So what does it look like to pursue the way of Jesus when it comes to our rest? Because in the stories that the ways of holidayism and productivity tell us, we can either feel inconvenienced by anything which feels like work or not fussed about anything which isn't productive. And so we can try to rid ourselves of the things in life which aren't convenient or time efficient for us. Spending time with other people becomes inconvenient, so we don't bother with it. That's a lot of effort, isn't it? Putting our mind or our hands to deep, fulfilling work feels overbearing, so we don't bother with it. Getting to church on a Sunday morning feels like a bit of a faff or a waste of time, and so we don't bother with it. Now, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to stand here and say that coming to church every Sunday will fix all of our problems, especially seeing as we're not actually here next week. But I do genuinely believe that the formative habit of taking time to worship God together as a church family every week is nourishing for our hearts, for who we are as humans. And ultimately, that is God's desire for us. The world around us may say that we either get rest to get more work done or we rest as an escape from all that pesky work. But against that backdrop, Jesus comes to us as he did to those in the first century. And he says, all you who are weary and heavy laden, heavy laden with the narratives that your culture has loaded you up with, come to me and I will give you rest. True rest. Real rest. And how do we do that? We simply come to him. We come to him knowing that he's not austere and demanding in heart, as the author Dane Ortland puts it. He doesn't call himself exalted and dignified in heart. Jesus doesn't even describe himself as joyful and generous in heart. In the only place in the whole of the Gospels where Jesus says, this is what my heart is like, he says, come to him knowing that he is gentle and humble in heart. We can take him at his word. We can accept his invitation. We can come to him. That's it. It's not a trick. Jesus invites us to just keep carving out that time, to keep coming to him, to keep spending time with him, trusting that he is who he says he is. When we mess it up, he'll only ever meet us with grace. 
But when we come to him, he will take our weariness and our burdens. He will bring us a lightness and easiness, and he will bring rest to our restless hearts. And so, friends, I want to encourage each and every one of us this morning that we can come to him this summer and always. When the way of productivity says, start your day by checking your work emails, we're going to say, no, I'm going to start my day with a short prayer, even if it's a bit messy. I'm going to start my day by reading a passage of scripture before I've even touched my phone. Even if the kids are clambering all over me, I'm going to try this. I want to start my day by resting in him. When the way of holidayism says, go on, you know what, you've earned another treat this evening. Why not watch another two or three hours of Netflix? I know you've got stuff to get up for in the morning, but 2 a.m. isn't that late, is it? And you wake up in the morning, you're like, oh, why do I do this to myself? I, I assume I've never had an experience with that sort of thing. I, don't, couldn't, I couldn't relate. Um, but we're going to say, we're gonna say, no, do you know what? I choose to curate wisely and enjoy the things that I watch for entertainment. Lord, may they ignite my imagination, but I also choose to respect the dignity and finite nature of my body by saying a prayer now and going to sleep, getting a good night's rest in him. I want to end my day by resting in him. When the way of productivity says, going to church, nah, mate, there are better uses of your time. And on the other shoulder, the way of holidayism says, going to church, nah, mate, you've earned a Sunday morning lion. We're going to say, no, I'm, I'm going to go to church to keep the Sabbath with my community, my church community, my family, and to draw near to Jesus as we worship him together. I want to carve out time each week where I join with others in resting in him. Because that's what we do here. We're resting in him when we worship him. Friends, we resist the ways and idols of productivity, of holidayism, of our culture by actively choosing to rest in him. So carve time out in your day to rest in him. Carve a day out in your week to keep the Sabbath and rest in him. Do something each day this summer which resists the yokes this world tries to place upon you. Because ultimately, by his death and resurrection, he has made a way for all of our burdens to be dealt with. For even the burden of death itself has been made that much lighter by him. Death has now lost its sting, the Bible says. Everything sad and deathly will one day come untrue when Christ returns again. And God himself will wipe away every tear from every eye as we find our ultimate rest in him. So friends, this summer, may you know that true rest is resistance. The kind of rest that Jesus offers to us involves us yoking ourselves, attaching ourselves to him. And the stories he wants to tell us about what it is to be a human being, what it is to be sons and daughters of the living God. May we allow him to restore us from our weariness. May we allow him to take our burdens from us, whatever they may be this day. May we come to him knowing that he is gentle and humble in heart. May we know that he alone will give us rest. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together.